Recovery Elevator, episode 233. You no longer feel like you're missing out by not drinking. You're actually empowering yourself by not drinking. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Daz. He's 43 years old from Vancouver, Canada, and he's been sober for 223 days. So Daz reached a point in 2005 when he wanted to quit. In the interview, we talk about the progress he made the 14 years before he finally did quit. Oh yeah, he also talks about how he did so without cravings. I know that perks some ears. It's a great interview. You guys are going to love it. Don't forget to follow Recovery Elevator on Instagram. And spoiler alert, it's basically me and my standard poodle Ben just hanging out sober. Guys, on the recoveryelevator.com website, there is a free five-day video course. Go to the homepage and sign up for that. Asia, join Recovery Elevator for an alcohol-free trip to Thailand and Cambodia this January 20th to the 31st, 2020, or when it's freezing cold in the United States. On this 12-day trip, we fly into Bangkok, check out this incredible city, and then head north to the jungles of Thailand, where we will be visiting a place called Elephant World and a beautiful national park. We then make our way into Cambodia, where we check out Angkor Wat and some of the world's most impressive archaeological sites. This trip is going to be fun. We've got powerful recovery workshops built in, and you're going to meet others who prioritize exploring and seeing sites over getting drunk. Go to recoveryelevator.com for the full itinerary and details. Space is limited. Quick note, you may have noticed a change at the end of each interview. Instead of me asking the interviewee, give us your own customized, you might be an alcoholic if line, I have made the change to you might have a drinking problem if line. Now, I've broken up the word alcoholic several times on this podcast, so I think it's time I make that modification. And here's a synergy or a coincidence. I was working with my editor, and as a point of mine to keep the book Alcohol is Shit Light and Fun, I'm starting off each chapter with a You Might Be an Alcoholic If line. And while we were inserting those into the chapters, I said, You know what, Lorca? That's my editor's name. How cool of a name is that? I said, You know what, Lorca? We're going to change this to You Might Have a Drinking Problem If line. And when I get back to the office, I get an email from a listener who recommended making the same change. How cool is that? Oh yeah, quick book update. Alcohol is still shit. I could probably have it launched by mid-August. However, that's the time of the biggest retreat of the year for Recovery Elevator. So I don't want to totally overload my plate, which I've done in the past and I'm starting to learn. So my mom had a great idea. Why not launch it on your sobriety date, Paul, which is September 7th. So what I'm going to try to do, if you are attending the retreat, I might be able to get a hard physical copy um, for those who attend the retreat. And if not, that's okay. But the plan is for me to launch early September or possibly my sobriety date. Okay, let's get started. If you find yourself struggling, it doesn't mean you're failing. If you have a lit Friday, as the kids would say, and I think that means great, and then Saturday, the very next day, the world implodes on you, you're not failing. If you make it through a weekend full of social events without a single drop of booze, and then you find yourself wondering how you're going to make it out of Target the next Tuesday night without steering your cart into the wine aisle, you're not failing. 
And by the way, does your target now serve wine? Mine does. Well, you know what this is? It's another opportunity to push that cart past the wine aisle to build those neural circuits without putting alcohol in the basket. And I'm sure some of you are sick of hearing Paul Churchill turn everything into an opportunity, which is totally fair, but that's what these things are. Okay, so if you successfully say no to the barrage of drinks offered to you by your friends, family members, coworkers, and softball team, and then the next day have to pull from all the known energies in the universe to say the simple two-character word no to a complete stranger who offers you a drink at the business function you've arrived early at, then you're not failing. Not failing. That's kind of a double negative, which is a huge pet peeve of mine. Not failing. Let's clean that up. Let's call it something else, perhaps in the progressive tense, because this is what you actually are doing. Okay, so not failing is you are succeeding, accomplishing, flourishing, overcoming, conquering, distancing yourself from, prospering, prevailing, thriving, hashtag winning, realizing your goal to become alcohol free. That's what you're doing. Okay, now do me a favor and think about an accomplishment in your life that you're proud of. I'll give you a couple seconds here. Okay, now did that come without a struggle? I'm guessing not. Can you shoot a bow and arrow while riding on horseback? If you can, well, fuck yeah, that's awesome. But I bet you struggled with that at first. You maybe fell off a horse. It probably took a while before an arrow hit the mark. You probably lost your first 50 arrows. Maybe you shot another human being. Well, I used to play guitar in bands when I was in high school and college. I struggled while learning to play guitar at first before I eventually got it. Now, perhaps my biggest accomplishment in life has been ditching the booze and showing others how to do the same. But guys, I struggled. And that struggle, not once for even a second, represented failure for me. And your struggle doesn't represent failure either. A big part of the struggle is simply growth. Do you remember those awkward teenage years when you grew one to two inches over a summer and it was painful? You couldn't quite prance around the basketball or volleyball court like you normally could. You had to learn to walk and run again with your new bean poles for legs. Much of this struggle, which we incorrectly label as bad, is anchoring with this unprecedented growth. You know the physical growth plates we grow into? We're doing the same thing in the mental world, and there are unlimited mental growth plates, which is a good thing. When you quit drinking, you're going to outgrow people, places, ideas, narratives, and behaviors. Oh yeah, and one more big one. You're going to outgrow your old self. Now I have seen some remarkable before and after drinking pics, but the growth I'm talking about here is on the inside. It can be a struggle to keep up with this profound internal growth because it's human nature to resist change. If you do find yourself struggling, be careful you're not repeatedly saying the words nope, 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 not supposed to feel this way. Well, just like we covered in episode 225, Witch Wolf to Feed, if you ignore the struggle wolf, wow, that would be an awesome 80s band name, by the way, then this struggle wolf will only get louder. If you're struggling and that's how you're feeling, instead of saying nope, say okay. Because it is okay to struggle. 
And before we hear from Daz, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. Daz, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you, Paul? Yeah, Daz, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I have been sober for 223 days or since uh, November 6, 2018. 223, you said? I believe that's what it is, yeah. Hell yes. Brother, how's it feel? Feels fantastic. Um, you know, once you get past those first couple of days of, of physical withdrawal, the sky started to open up and it's been getting better every day. Yeah, and listeners, Daz emailed me, and he wanted to share his story on the podcast because he got sober outside the traditional AA model. Um, he found a way to do so without craving. It includes things like neurorecover, amino acid treatment. Um, he talks about smart recovery, extensive reading in books. There's a ton of resources that he already covered before we hit the record button. I'm like, Daz, pump the brakes, man. Let's just start recording this stuff because I know listeners are going to resonate um, resonate with this. You know, so AA helps a lot of people. The percentage numbers aren't quite as high as people think, but the, the fact is the majority of people get sober outside of AA. So I'm excited to dive deeper into these topics, Daz. But before we do, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? But most importantly, Daz, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, sure. So uh, I just turned 43 years old last week. I've been married for five years got a wonderful supportive wife and I also have two beautiful little girls nice. um, from from Vancouver Island originally been in Vancouver for the last 17 years or so uh, for fun I uh, tend to I play a lot of guitar I, I write a lot and record a lot of music and I become my new addiction is is knowledge and recovery that that's really what gets me excited and continuing to evolve myself and, and trying to help some other people around that are that are in earlier earlier recovery as well Two things. I love having Canadians on the podcast because I can interrupt you and you apologize for it. <laughs> and number two, I love the addiction to acquiring more knowledge of self-help books. I have recently just crushed the Eckhart Tolle series, all of them. I think I've listened to like The Power of Now, which you have mentioned mm -hmm. that perked my eyes, shall I say, when I read your email, and A New Earth. I think I've gone back to back like five times each. So that is an addiction I am okay with. I'm all right reading. Some of these are spiritual texts, but reading all about this journey, how others have done it, what methods work for others. And it sounds like you're the same. And, and real quick with the guitar, how has that creative outlet changed for you in the past seven and a half months? 
You know, I, I wrote a song specific to recovery about 10 years ago. Now, I, I haven't been obviously sober for 10 years straight, but um, it, it was a really sort of empowering song. And I recorded it about a year ago and I actually had my wife sing on it. And it, it, I, I find it really helpful. And especially in the beginning, I was listening to it on a daily basis. It's just a way to get myself sort of empowered and motivated and, and uh, in a positive mindset. So the biggest use that I have found in, in my uh, sort of tools that I have to record and, and, and perform and record and all that sort of stuff has been the ability to almost journal through music. So it's interesting. You create this sort of timeline, uh, almost like a diary. You know, I've got my old music with old lyrics when uh, things were really dark and, and at a really, really difficult period in life. And then um, the most recent thing that I have recorded is that song. And it's just amazing to watch the progression through the years and have it all time stamped in a way that you can just, you know, hit play on a playlist and it'll take you through an entire journey from, you know, back as far as about 15 years ago to right through to, to now. So that's been probably the most useful thing I've had. Daz, you're 43. <laughs> uh, thank you for the apology. Apology accepted. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're 43. You wrote a song about recovery at age 33. It looks like you got sober at age 42. I'm excited to uh, hear about the journey and how it took nine years after you wrote a song about recovery. So it was, you know, in, in the mind. Recovery is on the forefront. A goal mm -hmm. of yours, 10 years later, here we are chatting about it. So give listeners some background about your drinking. Let's get everybody up to speed. Describe when you started your drinking habits. Did you ever put rules into place? When did you first realize alcohol is shit and it needed to go? Sure. I actually, I was listening to one of your podcasts about a year ago, and I, I missed it, but I heard it, and I had to rewind it as I was driving down the road, and use a term that I really enjoyed and, and used to this day, and it's called enhanced dopamine receptor. EDRs, yeah, I write about it in my book. Right, so I just thought that was amazing, because I've done a lot of research on sort of the physiology and the biology behind uh, addiction, and that term really resonated with me, because it also, to me, broke the stigmatism of... I, I, what I consider like a negative sounding term like alcoholic and replacing it with something a little more scientific or positive in enhanced dopamine receptor. So I started realizing that I had enhanced dopamine receptors, I guess you could say. Back Real in my quick, Des, let, me, let mean, me get listeners up to speed on what EDR is and then I'll let, sure. I'll let you take over from there. So enhanced dopamine receptors is just that. So an evolutionary trait for human beings is people experience joy differently. And one consistent theme I've heard on the podcast, including myself, is that first drink was so euphoric they knew we had found you know, what the magical elixir that we've been missing in life. And hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, this was an evolutionary trait that was a huge asset and not a liability because we... Um, people, you and I, like me and you, Daz, we would walk just a little bit further to find food, a little bit further to put our hands around a campfire to find a mate. Um, this was an evolutionary um, trait that propelled us forward to to keep moving forward in life. Um, in modern day, with uh, so many things like Ben and Jerry's ice cream and alcohol, this stuff can backfire. And that is with enhanced dopamine receptors. Uh, just our dopamine system works a little differently. It used to be for our benefit, still is for our benefit. We just need to experience things differently with things like guitar, roller coaster rides, walks on the beach, uh, balloon animals, cotton candy, et cetera. You get the point. All right, you take it from here, Des. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so, so going back to my uh, childhood, I, I started realizing this is a um, thing where, you know, consistently wanted to do things like go shopping and that rewarded just even spending money when I was a little kid, I noticed. And then when I was about 13 or 14, 
uh, you know, broke into the friend's parents' Texas Wixie bottle. And, you know, we all got extremely hammered for the first time. Then in, when I was uh, growing up in a small town where there wasn't a whole lot to do, when I was 15 years old, we got introduced to smoking pot. And that very quickly became a daily thing. And, um, you know, some other things kind of funneled their way into town, things like LSD, mushrooms, things like this, which almost kind of ruined my entire high school run because here I was an honor roll student right up until grade 12. You know, then you start doing those kinds of things on the weekends and things really started to nosedive really quickly. And so the plans of, you know, uh, veering straight off into college and that whole thing kind of got sidetracked. And I started drinking. I didn't actually start drinking regularly until I was 19. From then, it became immediately a, a daily occurrence. I mean, it was so socially acceptably ready, readily available, you know, took me kind of out of my shell and made me a little more sociable and extroverted. And so it just became the staple. And it was the one thing that kind of stuck with me, you know, on through my 20s. You know, I mentioned writing that song around about 10 years ago. So as far as rock bottom goes, that happened April 20th of 2005. And I had managed, I'd gone through a really dysfunctional relationship where I got kind of dragged around the world and, you know, with blood, just was using alcohol as a means to blind myself from the fact that I really didn't like the situation I was in. I really didn't like how uh, things had gone, but I really just had no idea how to get out of it. Life had really taken all these turns, going from what I had, these expectations that I had for myself, kind of growing up as a child, to where my 20s kind of took me. I completely veered off the path and had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And this all came to a head of April 20th, 2005, when I just decided that, you know, it probably wasn't worth trying to carry on. And I was, I was ready to throw in the towel on life in general. Oh, wow. And I called up the parents and just said, you know, it was about two o'clock in the morning. I woke them up out of sleep and I said, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I think that I want to go and, uh, you know, and finish this off. And so their response was come home. So the next day I just went home and that was my first attempt to try to get sober. Lasted a couple of weeks through the Christmas holidays. I also attended my first AA meetings, went a couple of times when I was over there. Uh, but then once I got back over to Vancouver, you know, things kind of went back to how they had been for about another year. And then during that time, I was still just struggling to get by. I was working in bars and, you know, drinking on the job and I uh, managed to get myself into some legal trouble, was potentially facing jail time. And then all of a sudden I could no longer afford to pay my rent. You know, I was literally one step away from, from living on the street. Sure. I had no money. I was, I had been fired from my job and that's when I knew that things were, you know, this is, like I said, this is one step from being on this, on the side of the road. So that's so, when you knew you're one step away from being on the side of the road. 2006 are we at right now? 2007? Early 2007. Gotcha. 2007, that's when you knew things had to change. And here we are, 43. Uh, bridge the gap here. I, I, I love hearing yeah. these, uh, you know, sometimes they're like a decade long in the trenches type stuff. We've all been there. So yeah, let's hear it. Yes. So I managed to get myself into a treatment center. So I went into a detox center, transitioned into a treatment center, two months stay and got out of there. And then it was great because this was the beginning of me starting to sort of stand up and, you know, dust myself off. I, I that two months really helped me kind of, you know, figure out, OK, well, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, I, I've sunk to this point where I have no idea what I'm doing. 
so the two months and then I ended up coming out of there and then I started working in the fitness industry for a couple of years, which was a, a much more positive environment to be around. Very quickly slid back into casual drinking, but I had a bit of a foundation under myself now. I was paying my bills. I'd left some of the other drugs behind that I, you know, to this day haven't touched since that I had dabbled with here and there. So things were getting onto the right path. I then decided that it was a good idea for me to move into the software business because I felt like there was some real money to be made there. So I managed to take my, my skills from, from the fitness industry, segue them into the software business, which seems odd, but managed to work. And I also got really into performing music. I found some great people to work with. So I was able to you know, perform in the evenings and hold down a J job. And things were actually exciting now. I, I felt like I had a purpose. Here we go. So I wasn't staying sober, but like I said, I'd left the hard drugs behind and had a, had a bit of a foundation under me and something to get excited about. And uh, so that carried on. And then I met my wife seven years ago. And about a year and a half later, we had our first child. And then it was, how long ago now? Three, two, two to three years ago, I decided to go to the doctor and was diagnosed with a fatty liver. Okay. And real, real quick though, so, Daz. So 2005, you had a rock bottom moment. And then I talk about how a decade long in the trenches, sometimes we find ourselves there. But I want to be clear, you're making progress after this rock bottom moment. A lot of people yeah. put the oh, success yeah. and failure date around November 6, 2018, which is your sobriety date. It's been black and white success, failure, up and, you know, failure up until 223 days ago and success up until this recording, but that's not the case. What I'm hearing, you got out of the bar industry, you got in the fitness industry, roll that over to the software industry. You're meeting people playing guitar. Yeah. Like, uh, you you're more, you, you went back to drinking. That's okay. I did the same, but there's a lot of progress that's been made. You get married, you have a first child and then boom, the past yeah. still comes up with you. You have a fatty liver. Um, what happens after that? Yes. So this was a real, this was a real wake up call. Uh, I now actually have a second, baby now so my kids are two and a half years apart and i i have a fatty liver and now i know that this this is a problem I, the doctor told me straight out if you don't stop drinking you will be dead within 10 years how'd that feel and what would you do next <laughs> well i mean i took it as the most positive motivation possible Good. you know i uh had made the decision a long time ago that if i was going to have children i had to be a a good father and, and be being around. a dead father is exactly being a good father so this is when I knew I needed to to figure this out. Now, when I was in the treatment center in 2007, we, they had taken us through the, I'd worked through the 12 steps. I had been to a number of AA meetings. I had a sponsor. I was going through the standard sort of protocol that most, you know, centers will, will guide you down. I never really felt like I fit in. Being more of a guy with a scientific background and stuff, the whole idea of sort of giving over, you know, to the higher power and all this. I, I just had a hard time with that. I know a lot of other people have a bit of a hard time with, with that part of it as well. But so I was looking for scientific reasons. First of all, I stumbled onto an ebook called Drinking Sucks by Chris Scott. <laughs> okay. And he, in that, I mean, he largely talks about um, getting, you know, using fitness as a way to help, you know, get yourself sober. Uh, but he also goes into some detail on, the benefits of things like amino acid supplementation, magnesium supplementation, and why these different vitamins and minerals are really helpful in assisting with recovery. So I decided to take this one step further, started doing a little research, realized that there was something called neuro recover, 
which was created by Dr. William Hitt. And the, the idea is you're hooked up to an IV for eight hours a day for 10 days straight. Um, and it just so happens that the only guy licensed to do it in Canada was in downtown Vancouver. Wow. Eight hours a day, up to an IV. What do you do there? Well, I started listening to Annie Grace's Naked Mind, mm-hmm. um, which initially, like, right. I, I thought it was really good information. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of that book. And, you know, I went through it a couple of times and, you know, I, I grasped a lot of what she was saying. And then I got out of the IV treatment thinking I was okay. I had some newfound knowledge. I've been pumped full of amino acids, which the idea is to sort of, you know, help rebuild a lot of the stuff. Because what I realized very early was that being sober is not just about not drinking. It's about rebuilding your body. Right. right. I spent 23 years torturing my body. And like on a, on a daily basis, for the most part. And so starting to understand how these amino acids and things like that can help to actually start to rebuild yourself, omega oils for your brain and, and trying to rebuild your gut flora that's been damaged from all the drinking. And the more that I started to understand a lot of this, the more it, it started to sort of empower me. Now, this first attempt at quitting was not fully successful because I stopped basically at that and thought that I was going to be okay. Well, it lasted about two and a half months. I was also moved to a ketogenic diet. So I'd cut out sugar and carbohydrates. And one day I just decided it was the middle of July and, you know, I wanted to have a burger. You know, you can't have a burger without a beer, can you? <laughs> well, I've done it a couple times, but I, I understand the argument. But Daz, let me ask you this At question. You know, after a couple months, you drank again. Correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like you just addressed the physical component of recovery is, is just removing the alcohol. You're physically, yeah. you heal, you enhanced that, that process with the amino acid treatment, but then there's a mental and the spiritual component. Do you, do you think that's, that right. had anything to do with it? And, and community. Absolutely. And even, even my wife called out, she's like, okay, so if you're going to go through this again, you know, you need to enhance the community aspect. So I went back out for about another three months. But, but, uh, but real quick, guys, we... overall tremendous pro- progress is still being made. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still moving along, filling the mind with knowledge. Like I said, I've probably listened to Annie Grace's Naked Mind on audiobook about six or seven times. Uh-huh. And, you know, each time it just became more, a little more ingrained. But like I said, I went out for, for a couple of months. But during that time, the only reason that I didn't stop again right away was because some things came up. We decided we needed to sell our home and buy a new home at the same time. So I just knew that I needed to wait for the dust to settle and for us to get this finished before I was going to be ready to try to actually stop again. Mm-hmm. But this time I was going in with, with more of a plan and more of a focus. Sure. So, and Daz, so what, hey, what? One, one sec, let me say one thing real quick. Um, Annie Grace, this naked mind, I've had her on the podcast. I've been on hers. She's been on our book club, game changing book. My only complaint about this naked mind and Alan Carr's the easy way to control alcohol is they're light on action. They're full of facts, knowledge that will blow your mind, but it, they're just light on action. And I've had to learn the hard way that, that knowledge alone, it'll, it might get you sober for a little bit, but it won't, you, won't keep you sober. So sorry to interrupt. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, no, not, not a problem. Yeah, so, so this time I decided I was going to incorporate community, and I went back to the IV, and I just did a short little stint, three days, just as like, you know, for me, setting a date, to quit is really important. You know, you don't just decide when you wake up in the morning. Well, I, I wasn't able to anyway, um, that, oh, today's, I'm not drinking again. So I had set this date. This is what we were going to do. I started listening to uh, this time the Alan Carr book. And I also started researching CBD oil mm-hmm. while I was sitting there for, for three days. 
and how that actually some new research is showing that that can really help rebuild the brain. Well, it rebalances um, the endocannabinoid system, which all human beings have, and it's not prolonged treatment. Yeah. Sim- simply like 30 to 60 days of, of high-quality CBD oil. That's the key there, high-quality. And I, I, I use a, a company called Endorage.com out of Denver, Colorado. Um, yeah, it, it can be like a one- to two-time treatment, and your, your endocannabinoid system is rebalanced for good or for you know, for a prolonged period of time unless insert alcohol and uh, an unbalanced system again. Keep going. So, yeah, so I've, I've quit now. I've, I've gone through Alan Carr's book, which personally I give a bit of preference to the Anna Grace book, mainly because I, I just I like the narration better. Some of the references to the pitcher plant and things like that just really started to make it click for me where I started to understand that everybody has some degree of, you know, if you want to use the term alcoholism, it's just that some people are further along in the process than others. And just starting, you know, combined with the Annie Grace, starting to sort of see alcohol for the poison that it was. And, and really starting to create that mental transition where you're no longer feel like you're missing out by not drinking. You're actually empowering yourself by not drinking. And then the big kicker for me was on day five. So day five is the Saturday. I've got my youngest daughter here because my wife is teaching and I'm trying to rock her to sleep. And I've got some lower back problems, as I mentioned before. My, my leg was starting to really hurt. My back was starting to hurt. This is starting to cause anxiety in me. I'm getting frustrated. And I'm at that point where I'm extremely close to going back to the store, you know, the liquor store and throwing this all away. Okay. I really didn't want to do that because, you know, I was, again, reinvested in this. I'd committed to this. I'd planned for this. So I did one thing that I had read about in Suzanne Powder's book previously, a long time ago. And then it's also mentioned in Drinking Sucks, which is the fact that L-glutamine can help with alcohol cravings. Mm-hmm. So rather than going, taking my daughter and throwing her in the car and taking her to the store, I decided to, I had some L-glutamine in my cupboard. I took a heaping, well, maybe not heaping, but a pretty good teaspoon of it, put a good one under my tongue, swished another one around in water and pounded it back. And instantly that craving was gone. And I have mentioned this to every time I went to, to meetings and stuff in the beginning as it was the miracle cure for me at that moment, because I was at that point where I've never come back from when I get a craving that strong to drink, there, there's nothing that has ever in the past been able to stop me from doing it. And I was able to actually beat the craving with glutamine. And this was the most significant moment to date in my recovery because it was the most empowering moment that I had had where all of a sudden I was in control. I was not a victim of the addictive behavior. Yeah. Real quick, Daz, with the glutamine, I tried this when I, when I was in early sobriety and I was struggling with it. I didn't have the same results. However, I have heard that L-glutamine for some it can have profound results just like I had with you. So I highly encourage and it's just like the L-glutamine system, again, in the body can be out of balance. And sometimes cravings can be that simple. So I'm really glad we're covering this stuff. Yeah, it, it, to me, it was a, it worked as a miracle cure. And so for the next couple of months, anytime I was preparing to you know, go out or something or going to a family event or whatever, I would take a little bit of, a, of it beforehand. And, and I found it sort of, I don't know if it was just subconscious or not. Uh, but it's or if I was actually felt like I was getting the beginnings of a craving. Now I have never to this date had a craving like I had that day, and I swear it's because I got past this mental hurdle that day that I could I could get to that point and not cave. So 
this was extremely significant. And then I, after that, I started going to smart meetings because at the recommendation of my naturopath, because I told him I wasn't really feeling the, the AA thing. He asked me if I'd been to a smart meeting. I, I looked them up and, you know, we just went to their website, realized there is some meetings in my neighborhood. And I've been going pretty much every, every week, uh, once a week since. Uh, the thing I liked about the smart meetings is that they're based on cognitive behavioral therapy. So just a little more scientific based, right? Sure. Definitely. So I was able to feel really comfortable. And, and a lot of people that I uh, have seen come through those doors since I started going there have felt the same way that, you know, they didn't feel that comfort in AA, but they felt actually a, a different level of comfort in that smart model. Yeah. And Daz, this is a good time to bring up the conversation about AA. In the email, you mentioned to me you have some qualms about AA, which is totally fine. Let's voice them. I, I have a love-hate relationship with AA. I voiced um, both sides of that on the podcast. What's What are your qualms about the program? So the first one, again, I, I mentioned to you that I am creating a website called empowerednotpowerless.com. And the reason that I chose that as a title is because that I uh, – had that moment with the glutamine, that was the most empowering feeling. And then I stumbled onto this video on, on YouTube from this guy. It, was, it wasn't a TED Talk, but it was like a TED Talk, this, this scientist guy talking about recovery. And he talked about how modern uh, science is telling us that a, empowerment is the key to recovery, not the idea of being powerless. When you are powerless, you, you feed to yourself that you're some sort of a victim or that you don't have the ability to control yourself. And this can lead to addiction or lead to um, addictive behavior. Even, even things like some of the ideas of working through the steps and digging through a lot of the negativity in your past can be counterintuitive when really what you want to focus on is, is now and, and, and moving forward. Uh, like, for example, you talk about the power of now. Best book ever. <laughs> <What's that? laughs> a, a great quote a great quote around that is that if you're living in the past constantly thinking about the past which i have done trust me extensively the living in the past causes depression and if you live in the future constantly worried about what's going to happen tomorrow this causes anxiety so the most peaceful calm place that you can be is just in the now and again if you're living in the past with depression you've already written your future because you wake up based everything off the past, and if you're living from everything off the past, you already know what the future is going to look like. Power now, Eckhart Tolle, Daz, you just knocked out of the park with that. <laughs> I love that stuff. Real quick, AA and, and like the character defects. Yeah, it's important we're aware of our blind spots, but look, like no shit. I, I know my character defects. The majority of us do. That's why I drink. I like the empowered approach. Let's focus on my assets, not my liabilities, what I'm good at. Now, I do feel, of course, empowered. feeling empowered is key on this journey, but I feel like it's important of where we direct the empowered feeling. So soon as I gave up, soon as I was powerless over the thought that I could control my drinking and I, I took that empowered approach to a life where alcohol just wasn't part of the narrative, yeah, then it, the, the empowered approach, it was like rocket fuel. But when I felt empowered, to find a way, just like one more unique strategy approach that I hadn't thought of. Maybe maybe this type of booze from Croatia. Maybe I'll be able to responsibly drink that. So I agree 100% with you, when, but I, I, I did not feel empowered when I was empowered finding ways that I could moderately drink. Does any of that resonate with you? Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of people you know, will mention that, you know, I, I just want to get to the point where I'm able to drink like I used to. And, uh, you know, that's the funny play with, yeah, uh, you know, seat. the concept behind <laughs> 
easy way to control alcohol, right? The whole idea is, well, I'm going to teach you to control alcohol, when by the end of it, you realize that the way to control it is to not touch it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't for a second think that I'll ever be able to drink like a, you know, quote unquote, normal person again. And I won't let my guard down to the point where I allow myself to think that way. That's important. That being said, the other side of the empowerment comes from the idea that, A, I'm aware of this and that's empowering. I watch people drink and, and to me, I just look at them and like they're drinking poison. They're slowly killing themselves. I'm at a different sort of point now where I realize that that's mass marketing at its finest. You know, uh, Edward Bernays would be proud right now that we've managed to convince society that drinking poison is somehow a good idea or that it's necessary to relieve our anxiety or to make us more sociable or to fit in or any of those types of things. I used to drink, or so I used to think, to relieve anxiety. You know, I've got a stressful job. I sit in you know, traffic for an hour coming home from work. The idea of having a drink at the end of getting home, I thought was um, helped relieve anxiety. What I learned in um, Alcohol Explained by William Porter, which is another fantastic book, is that alcohol does not ease anxiety. Well, I mean, it doesn't cure anxiety and it can't. What happens is, is that the drinking makes us anxious Right. Well, drinking gives us this euphoric feeling initially. And then what happens is as your body starts to come off of the booze, the anxiety kicks in like about 18 to 24 hours later. The problem is, is that our conscious mind thinks it can cure it. Um, but really what's happening is it's uh, easing the anxiety that the alcohol caused in the per first place. But because there's such a time span differential, the brain can't connect the two. And I apologize. I kind of butchered that whole uh, explanation. Yeah, a couple comments on that suite of self-help books in, in the alcohol addiction field. Number one, they all serve a place. I've devoured all of them, this naked mind, easy way to control alcohol, all good stuff, right? However, it's like I already knew at, at age 25 before ever picking up any of those books that my alcohol was making me depressed and anxious. I think most people can reach that, that conclusion without reading these books. It's incredible how they do this. Um, with, with bringing the scientific facts, the data, and really shine the light on like how fucked up big alcohol and stuff. Like that, that makes sense. Again, um, they're just light on action. And what I first thought was like knowledge is going to propel me forward, and it did for a little bit of time. But it, 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 like the action, you, you can't read yourself in a community. You just can't. You can't read yourself in accountability and community. And, and the other thing you mentioned, there are some major bait and switches <laughs> with these titles in this field. Yeah. The easy way to control alcohol. A lot of people are pulling that off the shelf to find out a way to how to moderately drink, including my own dad. So alcohol is shit, right? That's clear. But there is some bait and switch in that as well is because without alcohol, you know, I'm, I'm thankful. I have a lot of, I hold a tremendous amount of gratitude for alcohol for showing me the pathway to a much better life. And I cover that in the book. Alcohol was the invitation for me to uh, accept a pathway to another life. So I guess mine also is a bait and switch of sorts as well. But again, all these books hold a place They're They're all fantastic books. There's not a bad self-help addiction book out there because it's going to resonate with somebody. And, and so what would you say to somebody, Daz, who's like, Hey, I want to get sober. I've tried AA. I, that, that's all there is, right? Well, I, I, like I said, I still attend smart recovery meetings on a weekly basis because for that community element, it, it's a good reminder for me to go back in there and see the people that are, you know, struggling in that first 24, 48 hours. I get, excited to 
help share new things with them that to, to help them sort of just see a different way to like, like for example, glutamine, like I'll mention that like somebody who's brand new into recovery, like, Hey, you know, you go to any health food store, grab a little, whatever, 500 milliliter thing of, uh, of glutamine. And next time you have a craving before you go to the store, try throwing this in your mouth first and wait 10 minutes and then see if you still want to go, you know, but in the meantime, to me, like I said, the smartest, the community or things like your RE community, Facebook group, things like that help you stay connected with people. To me, the books were really influential. Diet. I also am now uh, regularly intermittent fasting. Mm, okay. I, I started struggling with sugar after after quitting drinking, like a lot of people do, because you're you know largely what uh, your body sees in alcohol is sugar, right? So I started eating a lot of chocolate and ice cream and things like that. And then I downloaded this Zero app, which is an intermittent fasting app, and. I love it. It's like a battle in it. It instantly gets rid of those sugar cravings. So it straightened out my diet. I started losing more weight, but it just balances out your blood sugar by giving it that extra break from, from digestion and, and you know, the blood sugar going up and down like the yo-yo all day long, like happens in a lot of modern diets. Sure. It's the, the standard American diet, the AKA SAD diet, is basically a glucose fueled yeah. diet. And I recommend everybody experiment with intermittent fasting because the body needs to go back and forth from burning glucose to burning ketones. And I experimented with this yeah. uh, in February and March, and I had such an enhanced mental clarity. I mean, that's how, that's how I wrote most of the book was while while, while doing the keto diet. And I and I recently had a radical or orchiectomy. So in, in October I had cancer, and I, I did a ton of research with this stuff. Had a surgical procedure. Thought, you know, asked my doctor why I got cancer, all this stuff, and he's like, "Well, you're 25, 35 male, white." Caucasian. It's like, okay, that can be part of it. But I also want to explore the environment and how to ensure it doesn't happen again. And the keto diet is becoming, is proving to be very effective for cancer and autoimmune disorder, inflammation, all that stuff. And so on the keto diet, you can get your body into something called autophagy, where your body is going to eat the free radicals when it's no longer using glucose as a primary source of fuel. It's going to burn ketones, free radicals, cancer cells, and a bunch of other cells in your body that just don't need to be there. Yeah. And so I didn't do the keto diet to lose weight, but I actually was a big fan of it. And I'm, I'm still doing intermittent fasting. In fact, I did a, uh, I think I did 24, not 24, like 18 hour fast this past weekend. Feels good. And the first couple are hard. There's this thing called a keto flu where it's just your body, like making the transition. It sucks for a little bit, but Hey, like getting sober, that, that kind of sucked for a little bit too. But once you're into ketosis, going a day or two without eating, it's not that hard and you'll experience enhanced mental clarity. Yeah, and I don't even go the full full day or two. I just do the 16 and 8, so I just make sure I get me six, my 16 hours in without food each day. And then when I go to break my fast, I'll eat like an avocado or something fat-like. I, I don't introduce carbohydrates immediately because I want my body to – it's sort of a keto-ish sure. type of thing. I'm not exclusively keto, but coming off of the fast, I, I eat like a hard-boiled egg and avocado or a can of sardines or something like that first. Uh, before introducing any carbs. And the same thing kind of segueing back into fasting. Uh, I don't like to finish on sugar. It, so it, it influences a lot of the same, some of the principles of keto without being overly keto. Like I don't track my carbohydrates. I freely eat fruits and vegetables, but I just find that I'm, my body is working the way that it's supposed to. And when, when you're used to drinking, you know, sugars and breads and this and that throughout the day and then you hit you know say five o'clock in the afternoon and you're consuming 10 or 12 beers at night but until right up until you fall asleep 
well, your body is just constantly processing glucose, right? Totally. And more important so, than the, the keto diet is the mindset behind any diet, behind any action. In fact, it's not a no to alcohol. It's a yes to a better life. Same thing with the keto diet or any diet. You don't do it because you want to lose unwanted or undesirable parts of your body because that's coming from a mindset of lack because you don't want something that's already part of you. But you want to do the keto diet or quit drinking because you want, to, you want to be the best version of yourself. You want to give systems, your liver, your kidneys, your stomach, your intestines a break and be kind and gentle to them. So just the mindset alone is almost just as, if not more important than the diet or even quitting drinking. Quick question before we hit the rapid fire round, Daz, what are your thoughts on relapse? Thoughts on relapse? I mean, I relapsed a number of times earlier on before click I don't think relapse is a bad thing I think for a lot of people it's just part of the process and I wouldn't want to beat myself up if that happened like you know you mentioned like how long have you been sober well yeah I mean I'm coming up on eight months straight here but for me my whole journey began you know a few months before that like uh, about five months before that I just had a bit of a slip for a couple of months in the middle there and but as long as you're still continuing to move forward and and try to sort of understand and, and and move past that. I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm 12 years past my rock bottom and I'm just now getting it figured out. So I, I don't think people should be too negative about relapse if it does happen. But as long as you're continuing to understand yourself, your body, how it works. I, I found for me the biggest thing that I've noticed in, in quitting drinking is how food affects my body. You know, you don't notice it so much when you're constantly drinking. Like I, I eat something that's healthy and I feel good. Sure. You know, I eat something that's not good for me. And I, whereas when you, when you're drinking all the time, you don't really notice how food affects you. I just think that I think relapse is part of the process. Um, and to me, as long as you're continuing to evolve in your mental and spiritual understanding and journey, it's just, you know, treat it as a hiccup. So it's easy to relapse and think that you, you're never going to be able to get out of it now, so you might as well just go back and try again in another 10 years. Between me and you, I hate the question, how long have you been sober? I mean, that's going to be good. That's, I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, what? You've just done 233 podcast episodes with your very first question, how long have you been sober? I used to ask this question at the Recovery Elevator Retreats. Um, if you come to Bozeman this August or Asia, and Jan you're not going to hear the question. It doesn't matter because it's so definitive. People place worth... I know I did on, on a date. And like you mentioned, your journey started well before November 6, 2018. So I'm actually, I've thought a lot about how to rephrase that, how to completely just kind of do, do different questions. So gosh, one other thing I would mention on that as well, Paul, is the fact that I've met a number of people going through, say, the AA path who have a year of sobriety, two years of sobriety. But they're still what I call, you know, white knuckling it. They're still just trying to get through today. Just get through today. Whereas I feel like the day five for me, so November 11th of last year, my mindset just changed. It was like a, the switch went off my body. I don't white knuckle it. I don't have cravings. I feel excited. I, I thank myself every day. I, I pat myself on the back for just kicking ass today. And I'm grateful every day for what I do have and how far I've come. And I, I wake up in the morning just a little bit more positive than I was the day before. So the reason that I don't think that the length of time in general is, is a valid question is because you can be two years in and still struggling every day. Or you can be five months in and be 
you know, have that switch gone off and just have absolutely no interest in, in drinking. Yeah. We're going to go for quality over quantity. That's what we're aiming here for on this podcast. Daz, one more question before we hit the rapid fire round, where does spirituality come into play in this journey? Spirituality is a tricky one. I mean, I'm, I'm really trying to get into the idea of meditation. You know, I go into my sauna and I throw the power of now on <laughs> or I, you know, uh, Sam Harris is waking up has been helpful for me to try to uh, get in tune with myself as far as, you know, just being connected to, to the universe and to the world and understanding sort of where you sit in all of this. I'm not a religious person per se, but I think it's really important for people to take time, especially in our modern age of, you know, the internet and social media and everybody is so busy that taking the time to stop and look inward and, and, you know, turn everything off and is really important, especially in sobriety. Yeah. Daz, the power of now is one of the most profound mainstream spiritual texts of our time. Yeah. I'm not religious, but I, I have been pulled, not chosen to walk down this path, but pulled. And sometimes I wish it would slow down, down the spiritual pathway. It's, it's kind of crazy. Daz, we have reached the rapid fire round. You ready? Ready. Number one, worst memory from drinking. Where's Mary from drinking? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a number of them, but I would probably say, you know, driving down the road and not even able to to keep my hands on the steering wheel was shaking so violently. And the things that I keep in, in my head that, uh, you know, we're never going back to. Next question. What's your plan moving forward? My plan moving forward is to finish my website that I'm working on. Like I said, it's empowerednotpowerless.com. I'm going to be launching that next month. Plan on continuing going to smart meetings. And, you know, I've got some people that I'm close to also in recovery that, you know, we're, we're a tight community and, um, you know, just continuing to help each other continue to evolve and, and hope that we're able to continue to rub off on, you know, friends and family over time that are close to us. You can't, you can't confront people. You can't just go ahead and change people. But the hope is that our positivity and our, you know, refound enjoyment in life inspires others to want to take the same steps because I grew up and my whole life has been surrounded by functioning alcoholics, right? Whether that's family, friends, you know, everybody. And so just continuing to lead by example. Daz, you dropped about 35 resources in this interview. What's your favorite one? Like I said, if I I was going to mention anybody, one thing you can do, get yourself some glutamine, don't leave out the supplementation part of recovery. You're, you've been killing yourself for years and your body needs to heal itself. One other shout out I would give is to uh, Omar Pinto and his share podcast. Yeah, he's the man. Which is, um, I love Omar. And another great book that I would recommend is Addicted to the Monkey Mind by J.F. Benoist, mm. which goes into the idea that you know, alcohol is one addiction. Addictions can cross into many different things. Typically, we didn't start out as addicts. We had things like enhanced dopamine receptors, and we found ways to mask pain, right, through short-term benefit. And I needed to be careful myself not to shift from one addiction to another, like whether it was to shopping or to sugar, or all these little short-term things you use to distract your mind to uh, enhance that dopamine. Addicted to the monkey mind does a really great job of breaking down 
where this all stems from within ourselves so that we can look into our own childhoods and into our past and try to identify where this behavior started. Because you can put Band-Aids on wounds all day, but if they require stitches or they require surgery, you're not going to heal. Daz, the most prolific addiction of all time, and dudes like the Buddha and Jesus have indicated this, is thinking. <laughs> all right, last question. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? You know, when it feels like it's impossible, it's not. I mean, I wasn't able to go more than 24 hours without drinking for over 20 years. And there were times when I didn't think that I, I thought I didn't think it was going to be worth it. I thought I'm just going to be one of those people that just has to drink until the day he dies. He's going to drink himself to death. But I was able to find some positive inspiration as well as some pretty heavy negative medical to realize that, you know what, I can, I can take this, I can consume information and create a plan for myself and, and work on helping others and inspiring others and creating a positive community around me and, and life. I, I can't believe I'm at almost eight months straight now. That, that to me is unbelievable. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And before we depart, Daz, give listeners your own customized you might have a drinking problem if line. You might have a drinking problem if you need to pull over on the side of the road because you can't control your shaking love it hey daz thank you so much for joining us this past hour of mine has been highly enjoyable thanks boss nobody permanently stays away from the booze unless the life they have created is more rewarding and satisfying than the one they left behind guys this is a tall order this is tough this rhymes with the word snuggle it can be a struggle. You all saw that one coming a mile away. The reason for this one is you bit off a big one. Big beings do big things, and that's exactly what you're doing. Big things. Nice job. Oh, yeah. So today is August 5th. On August 15th, we've got the Recovery Elevator Yearly Retreat. It takes place this August 15th to the 18th. I think, and I record these well in advance, um, I think we might have one or two spots left. Go to recoveryelevator.com and check. If it's sold out, my apologies, but I hope you join us. Recovery Elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I love you guys.